And let me explain a little theology to you. There's some of you folks, you love the term eternal security. You got it, forever saved. Let me tell you, it was never developed as eternal security. It was developed as true saints will persevere until the end. But if you knew anything about church history, everyone from a Jonathan Edwards to the Puritans, all they preached every Sunday like there were people there that may not finish the journey. They can fall away from the living God. And I read Hebrews. I'm up to chapter 9. I was just reading through it again. And as I was reading it, I thought, I want to let the people know. I'd like for you to be here with us tonight. It's not as much fun to only have five. We have pretty good turnout. But I just thought, what? it could be an egomaniac pastor. I want you to be here to hear me preach. No, if I wasn't preaching and we were just going to sing, greet one another, and take the Lord's Supper, we would have worship. We'd meet around the Lord. I don't have to preach. It's a great break when I don't preach. Uh, I don't have to be up twice on Sunday. Well, three times. But look at what it says here. We need to be exhorted lest we be deceived by sin. I think he was writing to believers. Can you be deceived by sin and picked off by this world so that your joy is snuffed? You're being, maybe you're being set up for temptation. We actually have some months here where our people fall into gross sin before the month is over. You didn't know that, did you? It happens. It happens in this church. We're trying to tell people you should sleep with that woman. You're not married to her. You, you shouldn't be on pornography. You should stop cussing. You ought to quit stealing on your job. You need to quit looking over that secretary. You're in a real world. I believe you're that, un I think you're that depraved. You still battle with that. So when we meet, we're not meeting to play church and just take an offering. We're trying to help you finish. We want to talk to your heart and plead with you. Don't drop your eyes off of Jesus and don't let this world set you up. Don't let it destroy your marriage destroy your children. Two, uh, we gather that we might have a place to greet, love, help one another. Uh, we're supposed to meet to stimulate one another to love and good works because we're all in the danger of losing our first love. Have you ever been where you think, I don't love him like I did last year, that you fell away from loving him? Well, there's something about corporate meeting that stimulates that. One another say, hey, man, don't you love him? And you're in your heart, you're thinking, well, I really don't a whole lot. Right now, I'm running from him. And a brother or sister could say, you ought to run toward him. I've been where you are. Let me tell you how I got back. See, if you didn't come in here and sit like wooden Indians and hope nobody would talk to you, you could have that kind of dynamic. You just come in here and say, leave me alone. I'm going to church. Let me tell you, when you come here, we get to mess with you. We're going to say, how are you doing in prayer? How are you doing? Hey, how are you doing with temptation? Well, it's none of your business. And I've had people tell us that before. They no longer attend. We're not here to be quiet about your spiritual life. And we have a biblical right to get nosy. That's why they call us bishops. Episcopos. You know, listen to the word scopos. Microscope. Tell us scope. And when you put an epi on it, it means you can look into somebody's life and say, you're diseased. I'm looking at this sheep. You've got a problem, and I've got a biblical mandate to mess with your life. Because I'm looking for infection. I'm looking for what might make you sick. That's why we didn't get our job description from you. We got it from God. We gather to stimulate one another to good works so that we might fight laziness in spiritual things. Lazy about prayer, lazy about giving, lazy about family devotions, lazy about evangelism, lazy. My, we fight it all the time. Some of you can't. You know why you don't have a prayer life? You can't get blanket victory. You don't know how to get out of bed 20 minutes early. 
It's that simple. Uh, we must not follow those who've given up the habit of meeting is the closer the day gets. And isn't it interesting? The closer we think we are to the coming of the Lord, whatever it is, the easier it is to program church for the culture, and we're all too blasted tired to show up to be stimulated for good works. We're not tired serving God usually. You just mowed the lawn too much yesterday. Even think about today. What did you do to prepare your heart to worship today? Keep on. This isn't the sermon. This is free. If I can make you mad, maybe the sermon will help you. Uh, we need to hear the word of God taught, preached, and sung that it might admonish, teach, and edify each other. Uh, did you know one of the reasons we sing? Two reasons you sing. You sing to God, about God, and you sing to one another. And when you sing to one another, what you're supposed to be singing is that which admonishes them, Colossians 3.16, and that teaches them and stimulates them. So we sing to and about the living God, and then we sing to one another to stimulate you just by our singing. Now tonight, since I want to... I can't get past this worship theme in John 4, so I'm reaching back to deal with it again. But tonight, I'm going to just do a, an overview that I often do in Timothy, just a touching the hem of God's garment. I'm going to give a Bible study. We're going to just have Bible study tonight on who is the God we worship. It's hard to worship someone you can't describe, that you don't know anything about. So tonight, we're going to hand out notes and charts and we're going to spend probably 45, 50 minutes just outlining some broad strokes, God's nature, God's essence, God's attributes. Uh, I'll do in one night what I did in 18 weeks every day in seminary. And no charge except a heavy offering. Uh, no, we don't want heavy offerings. We want light offerings. Um, cash is light. Uh, and so... Uh, Tonight, that's where we're going. You're slow. That's okay. I, I don't mind that. I want you to look at three verses with me. I, then I will dive into the subject of what is worship. Look at Matthew chapter 4. Meditate today on why go to church. Tonight, everyone is going to make a decision on whether you come or not. Some have already said, no, I'm not. It's not in my life. And you might be in the process of backsliding. If you're cold, if you're struggling, you ought to come and be stimulated. And you don't know all of Valley. I'm sorry we don't meet all the time because we're two churches. We're a morning church and we're an evening church. When we met in the evening, the evening services could not be topped. Sunday morning, you can crawl in and run out. But Sunday night, folks, family life would jump on you. You'd be... Uh, much more emotional, much more stimulating, much more family. Sunday morning, we've got to get you in, get you out, get you home. Not Sunday night. Look at Matthew 4. Satan comes and tempts Christ. And he says in verse 9, after showing him all the kingdoms of this world and their splendor, all this I will give you, he said, if you will bow down and worship me. Jesus said to him, Away from me, Satan, for it is written, Worship the Lord your God and serve him only. It was Chesterton who said, When a man walks away from the worship of God, it's not that he stops worshiping, it's that he will now worship anything. If God is not the object of your worship, you won't find it insane to worship an animal, to worship money, a relationship, uh, kiss a snake. If you follow Romans 1 and the idolatry there, to kiss a piece of stone and to spend all day Sunday shining your idol called a car. You'll worship something. And, but he said, Thou shalt, the Son of God said, there is no other option for me as the Son but to worship the Father. 
Now look in chapter 15 when he's talking to hypocritical religionists. Hypocrites go to church. And it's a good place. They might be able to be saved. They never get saved at a parking lot. They get saved being around people who are saved, right? So if you're a hypocrite, we're glad to have you. And I just pray that you'll come to Christ. Watch what he says in verse 7. He was taking on the sin of uh, when your mother and father need help, and you say, no, my money's dedicated to the temple, and he's, he's exposing that sin. And so then he says, verse 7, you hypocrites. Isaiah was right when he prophesied about you. These people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. They worship me in vain. Their teachings are but rules taught by men. So to honor God was to worship God, and he warns of this horrendous possibility of church folks that you could be doing externalities without heart engagement. You could be going through what looks good motions, external behavior that would give you credit. Boy, they really love God. They really know God. And it is so lethal. I might be preaching as a hypocrite today. I may not believe a word I say, but I got to look good for the moment because you know it's my job. The bonus, the reality is, is my heart engaged in what I'm doing towards the living God? Sometimes your heart can be engaged and you preach a lousy sermon. You just couldn't put it together. You didn't have the four R's and three poems and three jokes. Well, I am the joke, so I don't need to tell them. See, I am just what I am. But I've preached some lousy sermons while I was in the middle of worship. What really counted between God and I was the condition of my heart. And there's been times I think I've preached, wow, and I'm not sure my heart was quite there. I fight it all the time. It's easy to be a hypocrite when you're a preacher because you've got to look good all the time. And it's easy to be a hypocrite this morning and kind of move your lips around and you call it a song service. So was your heart engaged? Was there anything you would do this morning that engages a vertical connection with God? So he warns us, and we'll pick that up later. And then we go back to John, where he, nine times the word is worship is used in John 4. And Christ gives us that astounding revelation in verse 22. You Samaritans worship what you do not know. And do you think idolatrous worship is that? Absolutely. You worship what you do not know. We worship what we do know, for salvation is from the Jews. Yet a time is coming and has now come when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth for they are the kind of worshipers the Father seeks. God is spirit, and his worshipers must worship in spirit and in truth. Let me hang my thoughts on the letter D. Let me give you a definition of worship. We'll try to unpackage that more tonight. Uh, let me then tell you and explain some of the dangers connected with worship. And then... Uh, just underscore worship is a duty. It's given to us as a duty. And finally, it ought to be a delight. I want to define it. I want to warn you of the dangers connected with it. I want to tell you that it's a duty commanded to us, and it should become our delight. So maybe that will help us. What does uh, worship really mean? Well, uh, the main Hebrew word that was carried over to the New Testament was the word to always bow down, bow down. And it's found in the Gospels. 
it's the primary word in the bow down and worship the Lord. You shall worship the Lord. And it was bow down. And the idea was you uh, acknowledge the majesty of the person you were bowing to. It was your way to show their magnificence, honor. And so it had a physical connotation. Bow down. Uh, the Hebrew children were told to bow down to the idol. But when you get in the New Testament, this word is used of when the men bowed to Christ, and it's a little word, proskuneo. Sometimes it's translated to kiss. It's used that way in Psalms 2.8. Kiss the son. Kiss the, and it meant go toward and show affection, show uh, honor to them. Or physically bow down. The word is absent from the epistles. It's not used that way of worshiping. It's used in Revelation when the elders are bowing down. It's used when they bowed to Christ. But in the epistles, it goes away. And why? Because worship is going to turn from externalities to an inward connection with God. Um, Worship has the concept of awe. I don't say things are awesome unless I'm talking about God. And that was an awesome hamburger. Oh, baloney. Never ate an awesome hamburger in my life. And that was awesome. See, it used to be only of God. But we've cheapened holy language. Don't be saying to a person, well, praise the Lord. Cut out religious cliches. It's easy for us in the church to do it. It becomes taking God's name in vain. Um, But it meant awe, adoration, acknowledgement of. And uh, if you can just say A, you can get it. Uh, It's taken from the Hebrew word kavod, and what it meant is our God is of substance. He's weighty. Uh, When they talked to Belshazzar at the feast, he said, thou art weighed and found, in Hebrew, found light. Not bud light, you're found light. There's no substance to you, Belshazzar. Our God will break the scale. There's no scale that can heavy him. He's got too much substance. He is weighty. He is to be feared. He is to be revered. You're not dealing with light stuff here. He's heavy. And we use that as a vernacular. Man, that's heavy. And we're saying, I don't understand. It's beyond me. And you've gone to multiplication. You know, but when God, he is weighty. You can't contain the full of what he is. Kavod. It came to be used not only of what one was internally. It became used of how they manifested themselves. Their effulgence. Their uh, glory would be the word. So when God manifests himself at Sinai, when God would shine, when God would make a mountain move or lightning and thunder, it's, he was showing his glory, his substance, his power to his creatures. One of the ways he says God gets glory is when his creatures acknowledge what he is. We call it praise. You are great in power. If you said that, that's praise. You are great in knowledge. You are the absolute superlative of everything that's great, great in wealth, great in wisdom, great in power, great in love. If anything is virtuous, uh, kind, great, he is the utmost of it. That's why your greatest pleasures can only be found in the most superlative being, which is God. Everything else is toys down here. You're just tampering with stuff. Why don't you plunge into the Godhead if you want pleasure? You act like this God can't satisfy your little heart. He can make it explode. You know, I've tasted of God, but I still hunger for Egypt. No, those were the grumblers that didn't know God that were just going along on the journey. And they got killed off in 40 years. And that's what God has to do with a lot of stragglers in church. Kill them off. Let them die. 
Those who know God don't want the leek and garlic of an old life. They've tasted of something better. And so when you talk about defying God, uh, uh, let me just give you something. I looked up a, a worship guy uh, that teaches music, and, and he did a little thing on how God is worshiped, and he just came up with 50 ways in the Psalms. Let me ask you this. As I read this list, tell me if you did. As I read the list, and if you did it today, raise your hand at that point. They worship. How many worship today? Wow, better than I thought. Good. I was totally mad at you. Two, praise. Did you say anything about God in your heart? That was two of him. Exult in. Extol. Magnify. Thank. Love. Rejoice. Glorify. Exalt. Serve. Stand in awe. Fear. Bless, shout for joy. Kevin's the only one that does this in our church. A few of our black folks, may their tribe multiply. I mean, most boring churches I've gone to are conservative. You're a boring bunch to preach to if you're a straight conservative. Mm. Because God is only to be taken seriously. Well, why did he say shout for joy? He didn't just say shout. You do that with your wife. This is for joy. Now, if one person does that, I'd have them sit down and say, Kevin, be quiet. They're not with it. This isn't the right place. But wouldn't it be something that we had times when the congregation said the only place we could take how we feel about a God we're extolling and exulting in, and getting a grasp on is, I just want to shout for joy. He is great and mighty. Is that biblical? Is that too emotional? Come here. Somebody fix me. Fix me. Is it all right? Is I backwards? Yeah. It's not like whipped up, because we're going to get to that. I'm not there. I'm warming up. I'm just talking. Don't get over us out. Lock the doors. No. Uh, delight in. Clap your hands before. Psalms 47.1. It's okay to clap hands in church. We don't do it like at the theater, a great performance. We clap because most folks quit saying amen. So clapping replaced. I started to close the church down over in the other building when they, you started clapping. And, I, and some came to me. They were offended. And I finally figured it out. Someone said, don't make us stop. We, we're afraid to say amen, but we'll clap. I say, any response is better than none. Uh, behold the beauty. Lift up hands to. Does this make you charismatic? Or does this make you psalms? The charismatics are just more obedient. You sit on yours sometimes. Make a joyful noise to. Hold on. Ascribe to. Pray to. Cry out to. I had some folks get mad at a public prayer meeting we had here because a man was broken and he cried out too loud. They said, we won't come back if people can pray out that loud. I said, would you be better that they not pray out? Absolutely. They're not here. Sacrifice to bow down before. Some people tell me, said, sometimes I just want to get on my knees in the service. My daughter's always saying that. Why don't we get on our knees when God works among us? I don't know. We just don't do that. We don't. Why don't we? It's hard on old knees. Well, bring a pillow. In our prayer thing downstairs, we got pillows to pray on. And the only fights we have in there is who gets the pillow. Uh, taste and see. Bow. There's 50. I can't go through all of them. Hey, oh, God says, respond to me somehow. And he never, not one of these things, did he say, stare. Now, there's places he says, be quiet. But if we all came in here, we couldn't sing. If we all said, I've taken a vow of silence. Well, do that at home. When you come with the saints, you sing together. We're commanded to sing together. We're commanded. The Spirit's filling makes you a singer. It doesn't mean you know how to sing. Because it happens in the heart, and it finds its way to the mouth. But it doesn't mean quality. 
God's got angels singing to him. He's not impressed with your voice. He's impressed with the attitude by which we sing. What is doing it? Are we singing unto God a new song, a song of praise? It is biblical to be a singing Christian. Well, uh, let's go away from definition. I'm coming back to it tonight, and I'm going to explain to you things that you can say about God. Let's talk about the dangers to worship. Here he's talking to this uh, woman of uh, ill repute, no doubt a highly questionable character at Sychar. And he said, let me tell you some things about worship. Worship since the Son of God has come has, is going to be decentralized. It's no longer tied to geography. It's not on this mountain or Jerusalem. It's no longer dependent on a priesthood. It's no longer dependent on external sacrifices, animals, whatever. Uh, worship is going to now require three things, three things. It's going to require a brand new temple, and I told you in John 2, I'm the new temple. Bury this temple, kill this temple, and in three days I'll raise it. Christ is the central place of worship for the believer, Christ. Two, it must be in the realm of your human spirit. You must worship in spirit. And three, it must be in the realm of truth. Okay? Now, Philippians 3.3 says the true people of God are marked by three things. They worship in the spirit. They glory in Christ. And they put no confidence in the flesh. That's one of the best descriptions you could ever find of what the people of God are. We worship God in spirit. We glory in Jesus Christ, and we have no confidence in the flesh. That's who we are. That's who we are. So we want to talk about him, talk about him, and let's not talk about us. Because we're not the attraction. See, what you ought to think of when you come to church, don't think of me as uh, I, that I can make you the audience. Guess who the audience is in worship? God. And, and, and who are the uh, actors on the stage? And what am I supposed to be doing? I'm a prompter to help you get your lines. You're the worshipers. We got an audience of one. We worship God, don't we? And so when you come in here, say, I want to offer to the Lord. I want to lift up my soul to the Lord. Now, there will be benefits for all of us because your enthusiasm for God and your joy in God overflows, and it stimulates me. It has that wonderful effect. And, and if you're all sour and down, I've got to fight a spiritual battle for me not to get as sour as you're looking at me. It, come on. I'm just a human being, right? And so I, I look at faces. He told, Ezekiel said, don't look at their faces, and I know why. He said, don't be afraid of them. Ezekiel 2, a prophet. Not every congregation inspires you to preach. This has been a wonderful church to preach to. I only wish we had both services together. I like a full building uh, more than half. It's a different feel. I love it. That's why as Pentecostals, we were brilliant. We met in small buildings. We could always say we were packed full. That one pastor said they'd gone to three services. I said, how many are you running? He said, 75, 25 each service. Wow, I wanted to go to triple services. There's something when you're in there and you sense body life and the meeting is more than the preacher. It's the singing. It's the feel. You're with the body of Christ. You're preaching to one another just by being there praising the Lord. If you don't know what I'm talking about, someday pray could happen here for you. Well, uh, the dangers um, in worship. Well, I think he says you can do things externally that has nothing to do with your heart. And let me give you some of the externals that we uh, uh, deal with today. Uh, music battles. What kind of music will reach this culture. Well, when 
does culture determine the content of what you sing? Now, we didn't even have a piano today. That's why it wasn't sacred. And the organ, you know, let me say this. The issue in worship, whatever we do, is substance, not style. Substance. I don't care if you do it with a guitar. I've been playing the guitar longer than some of you have been alive. Don't tell me about different musics. I grew up with mandolins, banjos, guitars, before any of all the young, cool kiddies discovered it. I did it when we were holy rollers 55 years ago. And we weren't consulting John MacArthur on whether we could do it. We did it because that was our way of loving God. We did it with all our heart. I've seen bigger bands and bigger instruments and less worship. Music is not worship. It's the one who performs it that's the worshiper. The singer, the musician, there's nothing that's worship about a keyboard. But if you put it in the hands of a worshiper, you don't know what I'm talking about, do you? Uh, that's what's ruined a lot of, uh, I think, black gospel, is they went to a market, went to auditoriums. It moved out of the context of the church, and it became entertainment. It's different than when it's in the church. There's no place I like to sing and even hear someone sing as like when it's a gathering of the saints. You put it over at, at the Oakland Coliseum. It has a way of turning to a different venue. It loses a vertical connection. We're just singing for entertainment. And many folks think that unless we entertain, uh, we won't get you to come. Well, that's proof that your appetite's never been awakened to worship. Remember, music, styles. And we always say, well, you've got to sing to your culture. Here's the danger of that. Which culture are you talking about? Black culture, Latino culture, you're singing to Africans, Chinese. Come on, don't die for style. What we got to die for is the substance of what we sing, the message we sing. That is the battleground. Are we singing ditties? Are we singing about our navel? Are we singing about little this or that? Are we saying anything that's true of God? Are we saying anything that God, our audience, would say, amen? I amen that song. And that's the danger, I think, today. Loudness has often squeezed out substance. Keep it loud so I don't have to think. Keep cacophony, and I might not hear the voice of God. We've got to always measure what are we doing externally. What do we do externally because it's easy to draw nigh with the mouth and the heart not be engaged. I think it's why prayer is the place I have to uh, always uh, sanctify my motives. Why am I preaching? Is it to do something that wows a, a group of people? Or is it something heaven amens? I think something else you need to know about worship Two things, truth and emotion. When he says his inner spirit, he said in Deuteronomy 10 and 11, you shall worship the Lord thy God with all your heart, your mind, your soul. And he's talking about your internal being, the, ins the guts, uh, the spiknoi, the, the heart, right? Gut, sing from the gut. Some of you never entered that. I went out with... Um, Steve Fernandez a while back, and if you've never seen Steve in a song service, you've missed out. He's the most intense singer I know uh, in, in corporate worship. Uh, it, I mean, the veins are here. So, I mean, he, he's in it, and, and believe me, he would not pass a music court as far as voice. But the intensity of it, and, and us guys, you can hear him above everybody usually. And he sings about the second row of their church. But he is in it. And, and one day I went to lunch. I said, Stephen, where did you get? What, man, you sing so intensely. Where did you get that? 
I learned it from your dad. Huh? Yeah, he said, there's three of us in the church that learned to sing with your dad. Larry, Steve, and Frankie Griffith. They would all sing with my dad. My dad was only in the church nine months before he died. But Steve described it and broke down crying while we were at Applebee's. He said, you know, now I grew up as a Roman Catholic boy. We didn't sing. I went there when it was still in Latin. We listened. But then I come to Holy Ghost Hall, and I started hearing this man sing. And he said, he's the only person I'd ever heard that I thought they were singing into heaven. And he would sing. And he said, I said, Karen, I'm sitting next to that man, and I'm going to see what he's seeing. I want to see what he's looking at. He said, pretty soon, I caught his zeal for singing as unto the Lord, and I've never gone back. Even our Timothy class, it, it's, it's kind of been pitiful the way they sing because they don't know how. They don't. They either don't know melody or they don't know how to intensely worship to God. The heart engaged, emotion. Um, I believe that most conservatives have been emasculated the emotional life. They're scared to death of it because they've called it charismatic. They don't know what to do about it. And uh, Jonathan Edwards faced this, and I, I keep um, running onto it. To know God and not have your emotions affected is not to know God. God is not just a big blob of intellect. And what conservatives can be is dead right. They win all arguments. And that could be the true side. But then you can get over here and have emotionalism where you've got a lot of emotion separated from truth. You know, the prophets of Baal were emotional about Baal as they cut themselves and jumped on the altar. But it was all worthless. Emotion without truth is worthless, and truth without emotion is worthless. God wants both in your inner man and with truth. And truth about God can make you shout. Truth about God can make you have joy, that you've got to sing it, express it. It's joy unspeakable and full of glory. And when I talk to conservatives, they don't have a clue of what I'm talking about. That's why my favorite places to preach, if I had my choice, would be really Pentecostals if they let me preach the truths I want to preach. And most of them will if I'm not there too long or with my black brothers and sisters, because they're emotionally free. Conservatives are all, in the name of truth, cognitive and emotionally constipated. They don't know what to do, because it, it has been discouraged. And I, I had a prof in school, when you'd say emotions, he said, emotions are a work of the flesh. I thought, well, so is sex. Do you have it in your marriage? Mm -hmm. But he wanted to be sure we just think Christianity is only for the mind. Why did he say spirit and truth? Why did the Psalms have all this degree of responses? I want to sing to the Lord. I want to shout to the Lord. It's joy. I, I delight in the Lord. Uh, his word is like honey to my spirit. Why all these sensory descriptions? And I'm panting for God like a deer that's thirsty. Why all this language? Where, where did we get this emotional baggage? Is that the only part that's depraved? Honey, your mind is depraved too. And you won't know anything about God that he doesn't show you. The whole package is depraved. And men, by the way, are just as depraved as the women. They're not the emotional wrecks and don't know the truth. Friend, nobody knows the truth that God doesn't disclose to. He has to illumine you or none of you, none of you. Einstein, you won't ever get it. God reveals it to babes and sucklings and to whoever he wants. My mind understands what it understands, not because of my IQ, but because of the brilliance of the Holy Spirit. He knows how to make you understand. That's his job. 
And I don't have to go to seminary to understand. See, my burden for this church, I thought laymen could understand the truth if we quit treating it like a seminary, white, middle-class, private sector. No, truth is for the children of God, no matter what color, what social status, or where they are, if some of us bimbos will preach it and tell you, you come tonight and you can understand more about God than I did the first semester of seminary because I couldn't define God in the first semester. No, it's the Spirit. He makes His people, His sheep, get it. You've got to be elect. If you're not elect, you'll never get it. But when you're elect, you've been signed up for a course of illumination that it, the final class will be in heaven, and it's incessant for all eternity. You'll be learning forever and ever and ever. Oh, i got to stop. Somebody bust that clock. I'm not done. I was just shut up. Let me say this. If you don't feel emotional about God, if you lost your joy, uh, listen to this. Is love an emotion or an intellectual thing? Uh, could a church that's right on doctrine lose emotion? That's what he said to Ephesus. You're right on doctrine, and you know all the heretics. You hate the Nicolaitans. You're fighting error, but in the battle, you've lost your love. That is one of the most scary, because that describes conservative churches as a whole. We're right on doctrine. We know all the heretics, and sometimes you sense no passion of loving God. It's hard to keep the balance. It seemed like when I knew God, loved God the most, I knew the least. Because you see, it's fun to be a fanatic. It's wonderful to be so captured by God that all you want is to go to church you, you would stand on your head. When I was a young believer, I would have stood on my head if they said that would make me closer to God. I would have done anything. It was the greatest thing I ever discovered. I couldn't get it up. I was only 15. Well, that's why you're in youth. Ask some of these 15-year-olds over there if they've got that. Can't get enough. Sex? Oh, I just said, I can't date. Can't even be around these beautiful girls. Hung out with all the holiness women, had gray hair and long dresses. And called them mother. The only way I could stay pure. And he kept me. Because you see, we act like God is something you got to market because he'll bore him once you really meet the real thing. You, you, it's going to be a bunch of rules and a bunch of duties and a bunch of doctrinal battles. What about? What about? meeting the person you've never met in your life that will never betray you, leave you, or disappoint you. He's everything you've dreamed. You never thought there could be anyone in this world like this. This is our God. This is our God. And if you don't want him, the only alternative is hell because he said, I'll vacate hell so you can have your choice. He won't make you go to heaven because he's the feature of heaven. That's why I made hell. People, by the fall of man, have learned not to like God. And I'm afraid many believers, God is just a duty. If he didn't give some commandments and hang them over hell, they'd never show up. Because you've never, you know, it's like uh, uh, for our anniversary. We just had our anniversary uh, last, let's see, the 5th. And so, you know, Carolyn, let me get this over with. It's our anniversary. What was that about? Well, I have to kiss you on anniversary day. She would say this to me. Yes, you do have to, but you better change your reason for having to. If it's just mere duty, you can keep it. See, that's what you learn. Most of you adults, that's what you learn when you get married about sex life. It ain't sex that satisfies. It's the mutual love that, yeah, we could arrange that if I know the heart's knit. The bodies come with the heart. But we've all experienced when the heart's not there and you've just got bodies, it's an empty experience. And most of our world is living on forbidden fruit of sex 
and they've never, they've never discovered the real item where both the heart is knit and the body's joined because if you got sick, girl, or if you got pregnant, girl, this guy's not walking because I'm doing more than having sex. My heart is yours. I'll die for you. That's what marriage is supposed to be. Sex is just the bonus. What I really want is her heart. That sounds corny until you've been married 47 years. And you start thinking, which one of us will bury the other first? I'm more concerned that she's taken care of after I die than I am how much I got now because she's got my heart. And the longer you go on, you hope she remembers she had your body at one time. Ah, oh, little James Dobson won't hurt. Well, I've got more than I can unload. Uh, it's too heavy. I'll have to stop, but I don't, so I'm coming back tonight. I want to say this. God becomes your delight in worship. Your, your inner man gets involved. You see, I, I, uh, I nearly died when I first came out of Pentecost because I knew what to do with the emotions there. The only escape I've had is preaching, and that's why I'm exploding some Sundays. But in Pentecost, when I was in the pew, we could explode. Because we had corporate worship where everybody, it was more than, and that's okay. I've done that too. I weep more than I shout. I weep more than I shout. I wouldn't even think Dave Smith was saved if he didn't cry once in a while. But when I know what I know about him and the grace of God, I know why he weeps. God, God went searching. I knew his mother when she was praying for him. A rowdy. CHP boy that had walked away and was out there. I prayed with his mother many a time, bring my boy back. He's been back a long time, and he weeps a lot. I can't prescribe what your emotional life is, but I know you're supposed to have one. It's like being married, but we don't sleep together, we don't eat together, but we still have the same address, the same house, and don't tell me we're not married. You're married, but you're miserable. And God says, why don't you come back to my arms? And I love what Lewis said. If there lurks in modern minds the notion to desire our own good and earnestly hope for the enjoyment of it is a bad thing, I submit that this motion came in from Kant and the Stoics and in a part of the Christian faith. Others were taught, don't, don't expect any joy. If there's any joy in it, it's wrong, said Kant, Immanuel Kant. Indeed, if we consider the unblessing promises of reward and the staggering nature of the rewards promised in the gospel, it would seem that our Lord finds our desires not too strong, but too weak. We are half-hearted creatures, fooling about with drink and sex and ambition when infinite joy is offered to us like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in a slum because he cannot imagine what is meant by the offer of a holiday by the sea. We are far too easily pleased. And I would say this. I know three things about worship, and I must close. According to Psalms 149, gather in the assembly that you may sing his praises together. You know I like meeting with you on Sunday. I'm hoping to have a group of people of elect, blood-bought people in the Bay Area that will gather in Jesus' name to sing his praises. I want to get with those people, wherever they are. If I could, all the churches of Contra Costa County would meet under one roof, and we would have, we would sing in a way that no Mick Jagger concert could touch. We would sing and bust out the ceiling with the praises of our God. Number one, he wants us together to do it. Tonight, we're gathering again, if you want more. Two, he wants us to do this in dead earnest, not to be dead, but with everything in us, earnestly, because he told Laodicea, if you don't want to be spewed out, the cure, and he gave twofold cure, return to your zeal for me, and it's zestos, zelyas, return to the burning pursuit of me, and repent of your self-sufficient attitude that says, I need nothing. 
You need everything that only God can give you. There's not one deep heart need you have that money, pleasure, and the environment of this world can meet. I, I don't know, being a Christian this long, I guess if you put on the table everything this world's got to offer, if you lay down all of its kingdoms, nothing can satisfy my soul but Jesus. And I don't mean that to be pious. I'm just saying I've tasted enough of this world. I've been to enough parties, enough graduations. I've been married long enough. I've tasted a biblical marital sex. I've had tasted wine. I've gone to movies. I've seen my children raised. I've seen them say, nothing can quench my heart, not a trip to Hawaii, not money piled up. Jesus Christ is the source of everything that makes me have ultimate pleasure. Ultimate pleasure for all of his good gifts is what I enjoy. I got my wife, and I got marriage, and I got the gift of sex from him. I got the money I have from him. I got my salvation from him. I got my children from him. I got all I've got is him. And those loved ones over there, five of them now of my own immediate family, a mother and father and three brothers and sisters. I got it. From, he populated heaven with my brothers and sisters. I would not have, I couldn't sing. I've got a longing. I'm homesick to go if I thought it'd be hard if I knew my mother wouldn't be there. But he's, he and what he's done in my loved ones is what makes heaven like a magnet to my soul. He wants us together. He wants us to be in earnest. And as I understand it, he wants us to come with expressive worship. See, if you won't express it when we're together, you're worthless to me in the meeting. I can never be edified by people that are mutes. They can be going on in their heart. I can't take that away. But I get no edification. You know, I get edification from when I see you praising him, thanking him, praying, singing, wiping your eyes, exuberant about your God, and you're saying, oh, I can, I can recommend him. Let the redeemed of the Lord say so. Tonight, we're going to just do a little study, and I'll just do what I've done in Timothy and Wild classes, try to give you broad strokes that when we say, who is he? Tonight I'm going to look at what is he? What is it we worship? And I, you'll walk away, I think, hungry for more, because the least studied subject I know of is God, his Trinitarian person, and his divine decrees. We never bring that up. Nobody ever feels like that's a felt need. You don't need to know that. You need to know what helps your marriage. This will help your marriage. This will help everything that ails you once you see your God.